the big year of the stampede and the trail of 98 when the eyes of the world were turned to the north and the hearts of men elate hearts of the old daredevil breed thrilled at the wondrous strike and to every man who could hold a pan came the message up and hike well I was there with the best of them thank you very good oh, yes. uh, this is the second show that we're going to do on Alaska for those of you who didn't hear last night's show uh, I just returned last week from Alaska where I was doing a uh, television show which is going to go on the air this coming spring. And uh, I'm still a little stunned by Alaska. It's uh, it's totally different from the way I thought it would be, and it's wilder, more fascinating, more intriguing. You know, I didn't have much of a desire really to visit Alaska until I got up there, and I realized this is something else, man, something else. And there's no real way that you can say much about Alaska without uh, going into superlatives and then sounding a little silly, and it doesn't sound realistic. But just about, uh, let me see. Oh, it seems like now about four or five days ago, I was in Nome. Now, Nome, if you get out a map, the thing to do to, to really enjoy this show, if you're curious about the world that you live in, uh, get out a map or a globe or something and look at Alaska. Get get Alaska. Because, you know, this is a very deceptive uh, state. Uh, for one thing, it's far more west than you think it is. You tend to think of, of Alaska as directly north of, say, California. You think that coastline is straight up, but it isn't. In fact, Nome, if you were to go directly south of Nome, you would be pretty close to the Hawaiian Islands. So it extends way out into the Pacific. And uh, tonight's show is about Nome. I was in Nome just a few days ago, and Nome is way out in the far northwestern corner of Alaska. It's very close to Siberia. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the, the Russian influence is very strong up there, but you can, you can almost feel the alien quality of the land. It's the, it has very little to do with the continental United States that we know. And it lays on the on this sea. It's a tiny town, and I won't say any more about it than that, but just a, about a week ago, I did something. I made a tape. Wherever I go on my trips, I carry a tape recorder and actually do shows on the run. It's In a sense, it's Radio Verite. And uh, it's found radio. And I want you to turn up your radio now at this minute, this instant. If you want to hear an exotic sound, turn your radio up and, and listen very carefully to this sound. And this is a tape that I made in Nome. I will be back as soon as you hear this segment of tape to explain the next one. So turn your radio up now this instant. I know not many of you have ever heard, and I'm going to just sit here for a couple of seconds and let it uh, 
but kind of uh, play around with your imagination a little bit. This is the old sourdough here, and uh, we're up in Alaska. And I just want you to hear this sound. by Mount McKinley. We flew past Mount McKinley 
and uh, it's the highest point on the continent. Just uh, there's no way to describe McKinley. It's a, it's a it's a very masterful mountain, <laughs> and uh, and uh, by the way, one of the most dangerous mountains in the world. It uh, is considered by mountain some mountain climbers to be even more dangerous than. Uh, than uh, Mount Everest in some ways, but uh, as we flew over it, it was covered with snow, and you could see uh, rivers and long-lying flat uh, areas of uh, plain and glacier. There's a tremendous glacier just outside of Cordova, and uh, this is just a, a settlement, actually, just sitting there. Uh, and we, we flew on past this area and, and further on up north. If you ever, if you ever get a chance to to uh, spend two weeks in your life that you just absolutely will not forget. Uh, I, 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 you just got to see Alaska. You really have to. There's a, there's a tremendous peace up here too. Strangely enough, this is something I didn't expect when I came up here. I, I kind of felt that uh, a lot of things that I felt that I'd see, I did see. Uh, there's a vitality, and it's a very masculine country. First thing you feel up here is a, is a kind of virility in the air, and it's uh, it's a it's a solid country. I haven't felt anybody up here yet that's been uptight in any way. I'm sure there are those who are, but uh, there's big election going on here. So everywhere you see, you see people with buttons and Egan for this and so and so for that. And, and uh, here in Nome, though, the there are not many Eskimos in Nome. It's all uh, pretty much. Uh, uh, an Eskimo population, and uh, the Eskimos are very—they're extremely affable people. They—they—they uh, they have a apparently an inbuilt sense of humor, <laughs> and, and uh, you, you get the sense that the that the Eskimos are always uh, vaguely laughing at everything in the world, and and they felt that really in Katsubu, which, by the way. Uh, among other things, Katsubu is a tiny town. It's about 2,000 people, and it's all fishing. These people live by fishing, and it's a little eerie to see on the shore of the of, a, of an ocean. This is the Arctic Sea, Arctic Ocean, uh, a dead seal that uh, somebody has cut some blubber off of, and the seal is just lying there. And of course, this is summertime here, a very brief period, and in a few a few weeks, just a couple of weeks, actually, a winter will start settling in, and already uh, they're preparing for winter, and uh, I happened to be there when uh, they just brought in a tremendous catch of salmon, the, the uh, natives fish out of what looks like a long wooden skiff, it's, uh, just really a dory, kind of a primitive dory with a big outboard motor on the back, and they go out and they catch these salmon, these big arctic salmon, in nets, and uh, all the salmon uh, are, are sent to Japan, which kind of surprised me, uh, the uh, salmon is not shipped back to the States, but they sell their salmon to Japan, and they make an enormous amount of money during the fishing season. In fact, I heard uh, one report that uh, that it's not unusual for a fisherman to make as high as $1,000 a day when the salmon are out there. And uh, they were really racking it in yesterday, a tremendous catch of salmon all spread out on the beach, and beautiful fish. I, I, I uh, have never really looked at a salmon until I got up here, and I'll tell you, the, the salmon, the fresh salmon that are pulled out of the Arctic Sea and out of the rivers in this area are just a magnificent fish. And these were big fish. These were, oh, maybe, they ran maybe between uh, 25 and 
35, 40 pounds. Some of them uh, smaller than that, maybe 10 pounds, but beautiful fish. And uh, they have a jade mine there. Uh, there's a big deposit of jade up here. And uh, there's a little store where uh, you can buy uh, jade uh, things like paperweights and so forth. But jade is beautiful, and uh, it's, it's up here. It's part of their culture here. And, uh, of course, native carving is another big thing. And the, uh, I, thought, I thought one of the oddest things about Katsubu was that uh, every day or two during this short summer, uh, an Alaskan Airways plane arrives, a jet plane. They have a strip runway here. And any of you guys that are flyers who are listening to me tonight, you haven't seen flying, really, until you've seen flying here in Alaska. Uh, flying is as uh, is as casual and uh, and at, at the same time is as uh, in some ways very dangerous because they have unexpected storms and thunder showers and so forth in many areas, especially around Juneau. But flying is an integral part of everybody's life. Uh, in fact, this morning I was listening to the Nome radio and uh, the guys talking away there. The Nome radio up here is extremely. Uh, extremely informal it's uh, it's like uh, the focal point of the whole community and everybody listens to the radio up here and uh, the announcer the guy who was on the air he said uh, well it's time for the uh, daily flight log and uh, let's see uh, this morning at uh, 822 from the airport uh, they're taking a uh, 180 Cessna 180 uh, they're flying it up to Ugiak Point any of you people uh, have to get up to Ugiak or send any supplies up there. The plane leaves at uh, 8.55. It's the Cessna 180. Let's see. We have a uh, a uh, Beaver float plane leaving at uh, 10.03. And uh, they're going up to uh, Squaniuk Lake. And they're going up to the uh, to the Ugianic region. And uh, if you have any, any uh, supplies going up there, there's a little space. You can ride up there with them this morning. And... For 15 minutes, I was listening to the flight log of what was uh, going in and out of the airport, and then he concluded it with an FAA flight weather forecast, including uh, VFR readings and the whole bit. And uh, the the aircraft stuff that you hear on the air up here is as casual and as important to the people as uh, the traffic reports are in New York City. Uh, they have no traffic reports. Uh, Fred Feldman would be out of a job here in, uh, in Alaska. But uh, uh, the the aviation forecast is something else. It's a big thing. I'm uh, if, in case you just tuned in, that that rolling sound you hear in the background is the sound of waves. Just just uh, it's a gentle, very gentle sea. Uh, waves rolling in. Uh, from the Bering Sea. This is the sound of the Bering Sea, and I'm not very far from Russia right now. If you have a uh, if you have a globe or a world map, you can see that Nome is, is one of the spots that's very close to Russia. In fact, when we were flying into Nome yesterday, the uh, pilot we're flying from uh, from the Eskimo village, Kotzebue, which is uh, about 300 miles from here beyond the Arctic Circle. 
he said that uh, we're going to drop down below the cloud layer, and he said that we can see the Russian coast from here. And, of course, we were flying over the coast of Alaska at the time. He said you can see the Russian coast from here. And he said there's a Russian fighter base uh, that's right in that area that uh, he said probably are watching us on the radar right now. And you get a sense up here, of course, uh, the, the real presence of Russia everywhere you go, that uh, you see old remnants of the Russian architecture. Hotels are named after Russians. In fact, uh, the Baranov Hotel in Juneau is named after a Russian that uh, was uh, apparently the governor in that area during the days when uh, Russia owned Alaska. It's, uh, there's still a lot of evidences of it up here, and there's, in fact, a lot of feeding. In fact, a kid, uh, an Alaskan kid said to me yesterday, who looked exactly like a typical 16-year-old kid from White Plains High School, uh, he was talking about Russia, and he said, you know, up, up here, in this, uh, a lot of these places up here, he said, they don't think of Russia as any kind of an enemy. It's like uh, the, the old country. <laughs> and it's quite true. Uh, I'm going to try to describe what it looks like here, uh, sitting here on the Bering Sea. I'm sitting on some rocks. There's a great pile of rocks just uh, goes right down to the sea here. There's no beach here at all. It's just uh, shallow water with a water rolling. You don't swim in the Bering Sea unless you're out of your bird. It's extremely cold water, of course. And uh, there's a lot of whales that lie offshore here. They, uh, time to time, they report a killer whale here, and uh, it's not uncommon to sit in the hotel, which is directly back of me. There's a sea view room, which is a little tiny room of the hotel, and uh, you can sit and enjoy your reindeer steak, as I did last night, and just look out over the Bering Sea. It's, an ex it's very different. It doesn't look anything at all like the Atlantic. It's a kind of a milky, gray, slate-colored sea. The horizon is very indistinct because uh, the, the sky is almost the same color as the sea here in the north. The sky is a kind of a bluish slate color, and it's an immense sky, very few clouds in the sky. And those that are in the air are extremely low-lying. I'm looking out now at the horizon, and I can see way off, maybe 40, 50, 100 miles off, I can see a low lying bank of clouds and I'm looking directly north now and they're right on the horizon and above the clouds you just you can just see the clouds are just laying right on the horizon and above the clouds is an absolutely cloudless sky that stretches endlessly on over my head and it's a kind of a milky color and back of me is Nome. Nome has about 2,000 people and it is right out of a out of an old Western movie, you get the sense that any minute now, Gary Cooper's going to come striding down the street with a pair of six guns on his hip. And uh, all kinds of vehicles. The, the, the main street is not paved, although they're preparing to do it. They claim that they're going to have the street paved here before the winter sets in. And there's a lot of controversy in town about that. A lot of people say that Maine is going to lose its flavor when the main street is paved. Right now, it's just gravel. And... Uh, they have just paved the sidewalks, and uh, there's two schools of thought up here. Uh, one school of thought is that Maine is, or rather, Nome has lost a lot of its uh, flavor. On the other side, uh, there's the group of people who say, at long last, we're not going to have pneumonia because their feet are wet up here all the time. So uh, you always have that battle between the people who want to improve life and those who want to maintain the old ways, and it's actually happening up here. Uh, 
the traffic is extremely casual here. Uh, a jeep will ride down the street, or a, or a, an international harvester scout. A couple of rovers will go past, and a battered old Ford. Uh, I was looking at a jeep here, parked in front of a hotel. It was just covered with mud, and uh, the guy had uh, had sealed the doors up around the top. It was one of these convertible jeeps with the uh, Willie's Jeep, you know, with a convertible top. The only convertible I've seen in, in this in this uh, country. And he had a great big spare gas tank strapped down to the hood. It was a really rugged, masculine-looking vehicle. It had uh, four-wheel drive, tremendous uh, mud tires on it. And uh, he'd just driven in from the bush. And he had uh, the outside of the doors. Apparently, you know, of course, here it's very cool all the time. The wind was blowing in around his doors where the door fitted on the canvas top, and he had sealed that with strips of wolf skin, just wolf skin, the fur uh, sticking out. And <laughs> I thought what a fantastic uh, moment it would be if some guy drove that into, let's say, the food fair in Bloomfield, New Jersey. That uh, could probably throw a scare into them that they wouldn't forget for a long time. But uh, this this is rugged, masculine country, and and uh, you see these uh, the, the vehicles reflected. And by the way, speaking of vehicles, uh, oh, this is WOR New York, and uh, I'll be back in just a few seconds. But before I drop off for commercials, I want to say one more thing. Uh, <laughs> if you're just tuned in, I'm sitting on the shore of the Bering Sea. You hear that wave roll in? And it's a flat sea. It looks a little bit like... In fact, it reminds me more uh, more than anything, it reminds me of one of the Great Lakes. It, uh, it reminds me of Lake Michigan. And uh, I took a little... I tasted the Arctic Ocean yesterday, and it's uh, surprisingly unsalty. It's not very saline. Uh, very cold and not very saline. And, uh, in fact, uh, it's not too impalatable. But what I was going to say about vehicles up here... In the Eskimo village in Kotzebue, they probably have got the only junkyard in the world that's devoted entirely to snowmobiles. Uh, you just see wrecked snowmobiles all over the litter aisle up there. Just every place you look, you, you see a wrecked snowmobile, and they're just, they're just they just, in fact, they just sort of uh, are laying around the streets. And you'll see a wrecked outboard motor, or you'll see a wrecked motorcycle, and among other things, there's a wrecked airplane just laying there. And the people wander in and out among it, and uh, you see the racks of seal meat hanging, drying in the sun. And so if any of you guys are uh, snowmobile cuckoos, up here the snowmobile is not a romantic vehicle. It's just as, it's just as uh, uh, utilitarian as a can opener, and you just see wrecked snowmobiles everywhere. Well, uh, we'll be back in a, in a couple of minutes after these commercials, and uh, the temperature right now is about 50 degrees. If you're curious what it's like, and I can see now, there it is. I can see rolling out about 200 yards out from me. I can see a herd of seals uh, just rolling in the water, uh, just directly opposite me here, about oh maybe two, three hundred yards out. And the fishermen around here hate seals. They, they, in fact, uh, uh, there is a bounty on seals in certain areas up here because of the tremendous damage they do to the nets for the fishermen up here. So. Uh, from uh, man's country. I'll be back in a couple of seconds. Christopher Columbus was planning a trip. John Travel Agent who gave him the tip. Said the Travel Agent. Ray, listen to this. And he told Chris. Likewise, I. 
Chitty, chitty. And now I'm back in the studio again. And uh, for those of you who might have just uh, skimmed across the dial wondering what in the world you're listening to, that tape that you just heard has just come back. I just, in fact, just returned from Alaska. This is not an old tape of anything, an old show. And the voice, me, on the tape was done there. <laughs> Even though it may sound the like the quality is pretty good, it is. It's a good tape recorder I had. And for those of you who are curious about the equipment, I was using an Electra Voice 635 mic, which I carry with me. And I was sitting on the rocks looking out over this sea. And that's the running commentary that I made as it actually happened. Now, uh, the next piece of uh, stuff that I recorded, and uh, this, this is going to require a little explanation. To any of you who are, uh, who are Robert Service fans, you know, I always had an idea that Service was a wildly romantic type character. I, that is, his poetry didn't have much to do with actual reality, but he was a he was a romanticist. You know, like you go and you see a Western, and you don't really buy the fact that the West was really that way. And uh, now I'm not so sure, Herb. You know, I'm really not sure about that anymore. Uh, I one of the great poems of uh, in the English language on the the so-called pop level is Robert Service's famous poem, The Shooting of Dan McGrew. And I will, I will read the opening lines to you of this particular poem. You can't talk about Alaska unless you talk about service. It's like going to Scotland. You can't really do much in Scotland unless you talk about Robert Burns. And you go to Ireland and you find yourself in Sean O'Casey territory and Brendan Bayhan. And, and service really did say it for Alaska. And he was up there during the days of the big gold rush in 98 and in 1903. They had two big gold rushes up there, and they all centered around Nome. Now, he's writing about Nome. And uh, just outside of Nome, of course, you can see what's left of the old cabins of the gold rush prospectors, and it's laying there in the tundra. Oh, that sight of that tundra is unbelievable. It's just beautiful up there. And I took my tape recorder quietly with me in the parka, and I want to read a line here. A bunch of the boys were hooping it up in the Malamute Saloon. The kid that handled the music box was hitting the jag time to him. Back at a bar, in a solo game, sat dangerous Dan McGrew. And, watching his luck, was his light of love. <laughs> the lady that's known as Lou. When out of the night, which was 50 below, and into the din and the glare, there stumbled a miner, fresh from the creeks, now, I didn't know what he meant by creeks. See, all these gold pan operations and all the gold that they dug, was uh, there are thousands of little creeks outside of, outside of Nome. Uh, Bourbon Creek, Joe's Gulch, these are all little creeks. And here's this miner, now all about 10, 15 miles outside of Nome. Went out of the night, which was 50 below, and by the way, they record temperatures up there near 70 below sometimes in the winter. And into the din and the glare, they stumbled a miner, fresh from the creeks, dog dirty, and loaded for bear. He looked like a man with a foot in the grave and scarcely the strength of a louse. Yet, he tilted a poke of dust on the bar, and he called for drinks for the house. And yet there was none that could place the stranger's face, although we searched ourselves for a clue. But we drank his health. And the last to drink was dangerous Dan McGrew. 
You know, there's men that somehow just grip your eyes and hold them hard like a spell. And such was he. And he looked to me like a man who had lived in hell with a face, most hair, and the dreary stare of a dog whose day is done. As he watered the green stuff in his glass and the drops fell one by one, then I got to figuring who he was and wondering what he'd do. And I turned my head, and there watching him was the lady that's known as Lou. And then his eyes went rubbering around the room, and he seemed in a kind of daze, till at last that old piano fell in the way of his wandering gaze. The ragtime kid was having a drink. There was no one else on the stool. So the stranger stumbles across the room and flops down there like a fool on a buckskin shirt that was glazed with dirty sat. And I saw him sway. Then he clutched the keys with his talon hands. My God, could that man play? You know, I'd like to ask you, were you ever out in the great alone? The great alone? When the moon was awful queer and the icy mountains hemmed you in with a silence you almost could hear? Now, that line I didn't know anything about until I got to know him. Do you know that it is so silent out there in those hills I drove out in this very place he's talking about? that you can actually hear the silence. I mean hear it. It just lays there. There's nothing there. Just that green tundra. Those creeks trickling down with their gold-barren clay. Nothing. A half-dead thing with only the howl of a timber wolf and you camped there in the cold. A half-dead thing in a stark dead world clean mad for the muck called gold. While high overhead, green, yellow, and red, the northern lights swept in bars. That ever happened to you? Well, then you've got a hunch what the music meant. Hunger and night and the stars. And hunger not of the belly kind that's banished with bacon and beans, but the gnawing hunger of a lonely man for a home and all that it means for a fireside far from the cares that are, four walls and a roof above. And then all of a sudden the music changed, so soft you could scarcely hear. But you felt that your life had been looted clean of all that it once held dear, that someone had stolen the woman you loved, and that her love was a devil's lie, that your guts were gone, the best for you to do was to crawl away and die. It was the crowning cry of a heart's despair, and it thrilled you through and through. I guess I'll make it a spread misere. It's a dangerous Dan McGrew. The music almost died away. Then it burst like a pent-up flood, and it seemed to say, Repay. Repay. And my eyes were blind with blood. The thought came back of an ancient wrong. And it stung like a frozen lash. And the lust awoke to kill. To kill. To the music stopped with a crash, and the stranger turned, and his eyes, they burned in a most peculiar way, in a buckskin shirt that was glazed with dirty sat, and I saw him sway. Then his lips went in a kind of grin, and he spoke, and his voice was calm. Boys, says he, you don't know me, and none of you care a damn, but I want to state, and my words are straight. And I'll bet my Pope they're true that one of you is a hound of hell. 
And that one is Dan McGrew. Then I ducked my head and the lights went out. And two guns blazed in the dark and a woman screamed. And the lights went up and two men lay, stiff and stark. Pitched on his head and pumped full of lead was dangerous Dan McGrew. While the man from the creeks lay clutched to the breast of the lady that's known as Lou. Now those are the simple facts of the case. And I guess I ought to know. You know, they say that the stranger was crazed with hooch. I'm not denying it so. I'm not so wise as the lawyer guys, but strictly between us two. The woman that kissed him and pinched his poke was the lady that's known as Lou. It's one of the great poems written of the North. And you know, I never realized these places until I was in the Board of Trade. Right next door to the Polar Bar. These two bars sit side by side on the gravel main street of Nome, Alaska, filled with Eskimos and guys that have drifted in from the gold fields. And I'm serious. And I'm talking about rough. <laughs> oh, I'm rough. These are serious drinkers. I mean, these guys are not drinking a little martini before they take the 518 to Darien. In fact, one, one guy said to me, he says, you know, this is an old Alaskan. He says, there's only two things to do in Alaska. One of them's drink. And they do. And so I took my tape recorder and I sat in here and a, and, a, and a fantastic thing happened. I was sitting in the afternoon and these tapes are unedited and un, no, no doctoring up. There were two or three Eskimos hunched over the bar. This is Eskimo country. And I turned up my tape recorder and just let it run. Now, you're going to hear the way it sounds in a Yukon gnome bar. Now, listen carefully, because you probably won't ever hear this again, and this has nothing to do with Charlie Brown's in the Pan Am building. This is a bar. And uh, Jim West, the bartender, rages back and forth behind his bar like an angry polar bear with a bad tooth. In fact, he said to me, I says, why are you so mad all the time? He says, if you were in the booze business in Nome, you'd be mad. That's all he said. <laughs> now, I, I didn't say much on this tape, and you're just going to hear the background sound of a bar, and then a wild thing happens that brought all this Dan McGrew scene right back to me. And I was just sitting there when it all started to unfold. Would you please, and turn your radio up, turn your lights out, and take a great big slug of bourbon. And you'll know a little bit what this is like.
I doubt whether any of you have ever heard a drunken Eskimo playing a piano at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Nome. of the ocean there with nothing but the, the ice cap looming 
And he sits at his old L.C. Smith and pounds out editorials. And one of them, uh, the day we got there, the editorial in the Gnome Nugget started out, it was entitled, you know, how an editorial in the Times says, uh, Peace Talks Continue, and then there's an editorial. Well, he had the editorial. It was entitled uh, Sadistic, and I have, to say, I have to take out the next word. That is, uh, I have just edited the next word out, but let's put it this way. It refers to an uncertain ancestry and begins with a B with a giant exclamation point after it. <laughs> he was lashing out at a local guy. <laughs> Now that, can you imagine the New York Times I'm taking off its gloves and it says, Lindsay is a rotten skunk. And it starts from there. Well, that's the way this paper reads. And you know, I, I don't, uh, after spending a couple of days with him, we, we, we really got very friendly and uh, talked about a lot of things. And he appointed me, and I'm, I'm quite proud of it now, he appointed me the Greenwich Village correspondent for the Gnome Nugget. So uh, I'm going to write, <laughs> write some pieces in the paper up there. And uh, he says to me, he says, well, you know, he said, we pay 10 cents a, a column a column inch. And he says, since your column's going to be about uh, 5, 10 inches long, he says, you may, may earn as much as a dollar or so. And I says, well, look, why don't you take the money I may earn writing those pieces and contribute it to the uh, Kotzebue Little League? And he says, well, they got a, they got a, a kids club up there. He says, that's right, so I'm, I'm going to contribute to that. And, and I'd like to say this, and uh, for no other reason than that, and that I know a lot of you are interested in this kind of thing. If you want to spend the biggest sixteen dollars that you're going to spend in a long time, you know you get, you, how easy you can spend sixteen bucks on entertainment one night. You go out and have a dinner and go to a show. Well, if you take that sixteen bucks and send a check or a money order to the Gnome Nugget in Gnome, Alaska and got out a year's subscription to the Gnome Nugget. You know, it takes a lot of postage and everything to get back here. And, and it's, a, it's a paper that's four times, five times a week. I want to tell you, you'll flip. You won't believe it. You'll, you'll, it's like, you know, it's like getting a, getting a newspaper from Dodge City uh, during the days when the Dodge City was really running. You know, new guys were entering Tombstone every day. So uh, anyway, we sat there and we chewed the fat and... And after, after a while, I, I wandered out. And one of the things I always do is to listen to the radio wherever I go. So, you know, the radio up there, it's that tape. You just had it. It went right into it. So I turned on the radio while I'm driving out over the tundra. The radio up there, there's one station in town, one game in town, and they got a great call letter. It's K-I-C-Y, Icy. And uh, <laughs> you know why they got that call letter. And, and it's a strange radio station. It's operated by some kind of a religious outfit. And half of the programs are totally religious. And half the town doesn't listen to those half hours. Then on, because you see, this town is sharply divided between the guys that go in and out of the, the, the Board of Trade and the guys that denounce the guys that go in and out of the Board of Trade. So it's very sharp and clean. Then the other half hour, they're playing tour, they're playing requests. And this guy play request. You hear all these Eskimo names. Uh, Tim Snowball wants to uh, uh, wants to dedicate the uh, Harry James Cherubirabin to uh, Ann Kwaniak and uh, and Big Fred the Walrus out on Guniak Island. And here it goes. Well, uh, here's a thing that I heard. A curious thing. I'm driving out over the uh, tundra, miles from Nome, and I turn my radio on in the car and listen to what I get. Ben Coleman himself had made that day, and the other was an artificial glass egg which. He kept in the nest all the time. This would include anything that might see it. 
stop and play an egg there itself. You're listening to a car radio in the in the rented Ford that I had. That was easy to fool old Bentcom, I thought. Uh, I'm listening to the radio in a car, a rented car, driving down a big hill just outside of Nome, and I can see the Bering Sea before me. And this is the way radio in a car sounds in Nome. Light ladder, and next summer it would be easy for me to carry it to one cherry tree after another in our orchard, and I'd have to cook cherries for Mom. He's such a light ladder, even little Jim could carry it. Now, this is what they were listening to there. I finally, finally was able to decipher what it was. They played. Uh, records and tapes of storytellers up there. See, they get no television or anything else up there like that. And so here was somebody who had recorded, it sounded like a novel. It was a recording of a novel. And they listened to these things up there, and they're very popular. In other words, spoken arts records are big up there, and you'll hear novels and everything else on the radio. You know, uh, speaking of that, I think I think one of the great gags of all time would be if you were to write a postcard to request records. Write a postcard to request records. These guys had no idea. I'm doing, they, I, in fact, I had no contact with the radio station, but I heard this guy doing a request show. Wouldn't it be fantastic if all of you wrote a request to request records? That's the name of the show. They call it Request Records. K-I-C-Y Nome, Alaska. And don't even mention. Just say, I want a tune dedicated to Bob and Fred in Staten Island and Charlie and uh, my friend uh, Myrtle in, uh, in uh, Bloomfield Hills, New Jersey. Please play the Andrews Sisters, roll out the barrel, something like that. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden, this guy's going to get 27,000 letters, and he says, boy, this, the, the signal's really getting out. We must be getting one hell of a sky wave now. So uh, all you have to do is uh, just send it to K-I-C-Y, Nome, Alaska. Just record request. I'm telling you want a record, you know. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be, you know, you'll heard all over the yarding. But uh, tonight's show has been just a, a brief skimming of some of the stuff I did in Alaska. And I want to I want to leave you with one note here. If you're planning any kind of a big major trip in the next five or six years, consider by all means Alaska. It's one of the greatest, in fact, probably the greatest place I've visited in ten years. It's a fantastic land. <laughs>